Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I am going to speak about freedom, freedom this evening. And, you know, we hear about it all the time, both inside and outside of the church. But here's the thing. Freedom is, is more than just a buzzword, a current buzzword. It's, it's more than a good slogan for a marketing campaign. It's, it's more than just something Mel Gibson yells out at the end of Braveheart. It's more than a furniture shop where you buy one sofa, get another one for half price. You know, who likes freedom furniture? I actually prefer the furniture gallery, but anyway, you were looking at furniture all day today. Did you go to Freedom? There you go. <laughs> so this word's for you. Um, it's more than just being able to say and do and be whatever I feel like saying and doing and being at any given time, which is actually the opposite of biblical freedom because actually it's slavery to the culture of the day, which is in opposition to the culture of the kingdom, but that's a whole other whole other story. For those who have come to faith in Christ, freedom is actually a feature of our identity. It's our birthright. It's our inheritance. It's our reality in Christ. It's a spiritual reality, which meant that the apostle Paul could be in chains in prison and be the freest person on the face of the earth at that time. So we are free because we are in Christ. We have received the salvation, the kind of life that God offered us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that life is what I like to call this with God kind of life. I'm now living my life with God. It's it's life lived in the plural, lived with him, lived dependent upon and in relationship with the spirit. It's also known biblically as eternal life. So eternal life actually commences the minute you receive Christ. It's a way of being. It's a it's a kind of life. It's a quality of life that is open to you as soon as you accept and experience the reality of God. So it's not a life that kicks in after you physically have died. It's a quality of life that you can have right now when you are in Christ. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came to give us life. This is what he was all about life and in abundance. And when he speaks about life in this passage, whenever he speaks about life, eternal life, it's a holistic kind of life. There's a physicality to it and there is a spirituality to this kind of life. So in other words, he came to give us this life that overlaps the realms of heaven and the realm of earth in fullness. So that means the reality of our circumstances on earth, as real as they are, do not dictate how free spiritually we are. Just like Paul demonstrated for us 
right? Over and over and over again. But it's one thing to understand this as truth, that we have this eternal life, that there is freedom, that is the hallmark of this kind of life that we are living into and from. I like to call that the big R or the capital R reality of the kingdom. So there is a reality to the kingdom of God that we have entered into and that we attempt to and learn how to and continue to experience to live into and from. Paul learned how to access it. He taught about how we access it. He taught about what it was to live in and from that reality. But we also need to recognize that there is a reality, small r reality, that we live in a world that offers us plenty of opportunities to challenge that abundant life that Jesus offers us, to wound our soul, to break our hearts, to make it feel as though life is anything but abundant. But if you lose sight of the big R reality of the kingdom, you start to think that the news of the day is what's really going on. You start to bow down to the reality of your circumstance rather than anchor yourself in the big R reality of the kingdom. You start to feel bound rather than free. And so freedom is ours now, but we have to go on a journey as human beings who come to our relationship with Christ carrying all sorts of stuff in our soul We have to allow the superior truth of God's word and the promises of his kingdom and the freedom that is ours to begin to transform the reality of our daily life to heal our soul and renew our thinking. It's called spiritual formation. We are all on a journey of it. In fact, if you believe that you have a spirit, and if you're in this room today, I'm pretty sure that you do. Everybody actually has a spirit. And it is being formed on a daily basis. But if all you know is the world and the world's ways, actually your spirit is being deformed rather than transformed by the spirit of Christ into the image that he determined you to be. And so our journey of deeper relationship with Christ is one of deeper transformation of our soul so that we can reflect the image of Christ, be the person that he determined that we were to be before he even laid the foundation of the earth. So for all of us, there's this dual action to our walk, the reality that life happens. And Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's a promise for you. You will have trouble. And There are promises that are ours in Christ and not just ours to experience when we get to heaven, but they're ours right now. And the key is understanding that the promises, the reality of the freedom that is ours in Christ, they have to be accessed. They have to be understood. They have to be walked out. They have to be put on, put on the new self, put on this new reality, renew our mind, possess it, possess what is already Else, we have to stand in the truth of God's reality, wrestle with how his reality intersects with the reality of our life. That's the active working out of our salvation. The Bible says, work out your salvation, work it out, live it out, apply it, access it, wrestle with it, be it. And it's not always 
maybe ever easy, but it's always rewarding. So we're going to have a look at a, a well-known passage in Scripture with the view to helping us take possession of, to stand, if you like, in the promises that are ours. And this is necessary because while I quoted John chapter 10, 10, Jesus, when he says, I've come to give you life and, and give it to you in abundance, just prior to that in the same passage, it also says that the enemy comes to rob, to steal, and destroy. And it's not that he says, oh, whoops, now you've received Christ. I'm going to stop trying to rob you or steal from you or destroy your life. No, in fact, probably it increases all the more because he doesn't want you to access what is yours. doesn't want you to walk in the inheritance that is yours. But we've got tools and strategies that we can find in the word of God to help us live eternal life now right in the midst of all that life throws at us. And one of the most significant things that we have is called the armor of God, the armor of God. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to read it for you in the message version. I love how Eugene Peterson has paraphrased the Bible. He was an incredible man, incredible theologian and pastor. And so he writes, well, Paul writes, but Eugene, you know, interprets it. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, and that about wraps it up. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials and put them to you so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours unless you're over 40 and play netball and tear your calf muscle off your leg, which I did. Didn't forget about that the next time. I did that. I decided to play netball again after X number of years. And I've never injured myself the way that I did playing netball. I tore my calf, couldn't move, and so I Googled it. And it said, a torn calf is very common in athletes. And people over 40. Anyway, this is not an afternoon athletic contest. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Hallelujah. Take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than words. I love that. They're more than words. They're more than catchphrases. They're more than cliches. There's, there's a reality to them. There's a, there's a truth to them. So you need to learn how to apply them. You'll need them throughout your life. God's word is an indispensable weapon 
And in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. You know, over the years, I've heard so many people come up to me and go, I just feel like I'm under attack. And I go, yeah, you are all the time. And so am I. So let's learn how to stand. And be aware of how the enemy comes at us because it will be different for each one of us. We've all got our little weaknesses, little lies that we're believing, different ways of seeing. But you know what? This isn't in my notes. This is for free. Someone obviously needs to hear this. The devil is not omnipotent. What's that word? Yeah, there's a few omnis. He's none of the omnis right? Only God is omnipotent. No, what is the word? Why can't I? All-knowing. He's not all-knowing. Let's just use the English word. How... Omniscient. Omniscient. Say that with me. Omniscient. Kind of, I've, did I mess it up with omnipotent? <laughs> Omnipotent. Anyway, you know what I mean? He's not all-knowing, right? So he doesn't know your thoughts, Say it again because you're all just laughing at me. So you say it again. You can get it right. <laughs> See, I shouldn't go off my notes. I walk away from my notes and then another thought comes to me and I mess up the word. Anyway, he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know our thoughts. So the only way the enemy knows what it is you're struggling with is by your confession, by what you speak. And so he'll ride on those words. That's why we need to be aware of that. Yeah, see, that landed. You all laughed at me. Now you're like, oh, that's a good point. So Paul helps us here, right? So we just read chapter 6. Context is always important when it comes to the word of God. Prior to chapter 6 is chapters 1 to 5. Profound. In chapters 1 and 2, Paul teaches us about our position and our identity in Christ. He says, you've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. He prays that the eyes of our heart would be open so that we can begin to see and understand and experience the reality of this kingdom. In addition, he says, there's a power that is available to you. It's God's own power, but it is ours just by virtue of the fact that we are in him. He goes on, he highlights four truths about God that should compel us to praise. He says, we praise him because he has blessed us in the heavenly places. He's chosen us before he even laid the foundation of the world. And in him, we have redemption. We have salvation. We have wholeness. It's absolute. It's supernatural. It's something to be experienced. We've also received the Holy Spirit. Need we say more? He is the ongoing power and presence of God in the world. He now resides in us. This is what Paul is doing even in the first two chapters. It's, it's building upon truth, upon truth, upon truth. As you read it, what should happen is something is stirred within you until the, the point where you just can't hold it in anymore. And you have to start praising. You have to start responding to the truth that Paul is giving us. That's how he's writing this incredible letter. And then he goes on. You've been given gifts. They're amazing. They bless others. They empower you. They build up the kingdom. And then we get to chapter 6 and the portion that we have just read. And Paul says, finally, after all that good stuff, remember 
this is a war. It's actually a bit hard. It's a life and death fight with the devil. There's an enemy that opposes you, wants to prevent you from taking possession of all these things that are yours. And so he gives us these truths to pull out of us the way to access these things that are ours. So the first point he makes here is God is strong and he wants you to be strong. So continuing to stand in the reality of the promises of God amid the reality of life and all the enemy throws at you, the battles in your mind, the wounds of your soul, just life, that requires strength. You know, the picture that this scripture kind of paints is of a person who says, I will not be moved. Even if a tsunami is coming my way, it can wash over me and I will still be standing after it has passed through. This is not just any sort of immovability, right? This is being able to remain on your feet no matter what. How is that even possible? Well, Paul says this is possible because the strength that is required to do that is actually not your own. It is his. And so there's this overlap of the two realms of reality right here. Life on earth is real, but heavenly supernatural strength is also real. The question is which is more real to you? We don't have to conjure up this strength, nor do we deny what is going on in our life. This is not a, you know, you walk into to church on a Sunday and you've had a really shocking week and you go, oh, I'm fantastic. Things are great. Thanks for asking. Yep, I'm an overcomer in the name of Jesus. Oh, no, no. Yep, yep. So, you know, I, I'm, I've been really sick and my children are sick, but praise the Lord. We're over. It, it's not denying that. It's not denying the reality of life. It's not fake. It, it's not a mask that we wear because we're afraid of appearing weak. It's not arrogance. It's not veiled pride. But it is this ever-present, ongoing, supernatural strength that is ours simply because we are his. It's one of those spiritual blessings that are ours because we're in Christ and it has nothing to do with you and everything to do with him. So the text here speaks about this strength as an empowering and in feeling as the Lord himself saying, hey, I will empower you. Sounds great. How do we access it? Well, we have to put aside any pride that we have and admit, I need it. I need the strength of the Lord. That sounds so simple, right? But actually that requires a, a breaking down of our desire to rely on our own strength, to remain independent, to remain strong. And it's also the rejection of the thought that brokenness is weakness. There's a humility required to access the strength of the kingdom, an admission that I, I actually can't do this by myself. That was a lesson that I had to, to learn when I was faced with 
an anxiety disorder in my early 20s. Up until that point, I'd been able to rely on my own strength for everything. In fact, my mother told me that the first line that I strung together as a child was, I do it myself. I do it myself. Luckily, my children never said that as their first line. <laughs> but it, it, it showed this independent kind of spirit. I can do this. I can do this. But actually what I needed was a strength that was not my own. I needed a strength that was him to get through that. I'm going to share a little bit more of that when we come to the end of, of, uh, of this evening. But, you know, when we think of power and strength, what comes to mind? Often it, it is that picture of independence and a, a kind of puffing up or an arrogance. I'm strong. But you know what? We need to be careful because we can allow how the world defines power and strength to influence our kingdom understanding of the same. But Paul refers to this strength that is needed to stand when all the shouting is over. So kingdom strength is one that empowers me to remain when all I want to do is run away. It's strength that says, I'm going to pray again. I'm going to intercede again. I'm going to believe again. It's, it takes strength to fall on our knees one more time and pray again, to believe for a miracle one more time, even when you've already prayed a hundred times. It's a strength that empowers me to remain in faith when my prayers aren't answered, when people are not healed, when relationships are not restored, when the miracle hasn't come. It's a strength that encourages me to free fall into the purposes of God. It's a strength to trust in the midst of mysteries when the answers are not clear. It's really about getting to know the person of the Holy Spirit and not just his power. This is affirmed for us in the great power. Scripture, Romans 8, 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That word give life literally means to empower you with something divine. It's where strength in all of its forms, the spectacular and the not so spectacular comes from. Isn't it a relief that it's not about us at all? It's all about him. Standing opening ourselves to the transforming presence of Christ and receiving the strength that comes from relationship with the Holy Spirit. The second thing Paul teaches us is that truth, righteousness, peace, faith, and salvation are more than just words. Learn how to apply them. You probably know the other translation that says, take up the whole armor of God, apply it, be active about it, learn about it, possess it. Stephen Furtick, who's a, a preacher in the U.S., says, the enemy cannot defeat you if he cannot disarm you. Did you know that every piece of the armor of God is the strength of God being offered to you in different ways? So this is how to practically apply his strength to continue to stand. You know, I'm sure, again, many of you know that when Paul describes the armor, it was this kind of direct correlation to the armor that a Roman soldier wore at the time. So he uses that to teach them a spiritual truth, a spiritual reality. So briefly, the, the pieces that are highlighted here is, is truth. The first thing that Paul refers to is the belt of truth. 
That was the most important part of the entire uniform because it kept everything else in place. The soldier could have all the other pieces of armory, but without the belt holding it together, it would just fall apart. The shield was attached to the belt. The sword hung off the belt and the belt kept the breastplate from moving. So without a belt, the soldier just wouldn't have confidence to fight because he was not effectively protected. Isn't that true about our spiritual battle? Truth is the first thing that's attacked. And in our postmodern society, we're told, well, there is no objective truth. Truth is purely subjective. So what's true for you might not be true for me. It's interesting that truth is the thing that is being attacked the most. And yet you you don't have to look too far in the news to see people questioning, why is there so much violence in the world? Why have we got problem with, especially with youth, just, you know, with no boundaries? Because truth has been removed from our society. And obviously, this is a whole other philosophical discussion, but if there is right and wrong, good and evil, there has to be an absolute. And where does that come from? It means there must be a God. But we're not talking about apologetics tonight. But truth is the first thing. There's got to be power in it. The enemy will attack the truth about our identity, our position in Christ, our freedom, our wholeness. He did it to Jesus, right, in the wilderness. So why would he stop with us? He attacks the knowledge of the promises we have in him. And if he can get us believing a lie, then everything falls apart and we're left vulnerable. Without his truth, which is his strength, We cannot stand. If you're believing a lie, there's no strength available to you to stand in the battle because there's nothing divine. There's no infusion of life in a lie. In fact, it's the very opposite. It causes your knees to buckle under the weight of condemnation and confusion and doubt. Only the truth that God offers you gives you the strength that you need. So the belt of truth is crucial to guard our innermost being in the battle against the lies and deceptions of the enemy. Righteousness, that's the breastplate that covers our our heart. You know, the breastplate of the soldier had an image stamped on the front of it and it told the enemy that they were fighting which army they belonged to. Ours is stamped with Christ and it testifies to the victory and the redemption that he has won for us. Colossians talks about Christ basically making a mockery of the powers of darkness. And so we stand there with this breastplate with Christ on the front of it. And we say we have that victory, but it's his righteousness, not our own. We can't stand in our own righteousness, which is basically relying on our own strength, which is actually pride. Pride is false strength. It it might make you feel strong in the moment, but when attack comes, and it will, you're vulnerable because there is no strength in yourself. And then peace. Actually, he says the shoes of peace. When I first read that, I thought that's really strange. What is it about the shoes? Well, actually, the shoes were were really critical because, you know, imagine a fully dressed soldier looks ready for battle, but his feet are completely bare. What would happen? He would go into battle looking like this, really aware of where his foot was going to tread and not looking up, looking at what was coming towards him. And so it leaves you very vulnerable. It it actually makes you more uh, worried and 
and, and critical about what is beneath you rather than what is heading your way. There's no peace when you're distracted by things that are not the real threat. And so you spend so much time worrying in fear over things that could be fully dealt with through applying the gospel of peace. You know, the correct footwear for the soldier was actually designed to remove fear that they would tread in the wrong place or on something dangerous. Often they were fitted with nails with like these spikes at the bottom so that they could hold firm to the ground. So the gospel of peace spiritually then means I might not know what's ahead, but I know I won't fall because Christ is with me and his strength empowers me and his love casts out fear. C.S. Lewis says, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace in difficulties. If you've got the shoes on. Faith, that's the shield. The Roman shield was as large as a door in some cases. It would fully cover the warrior entirely, but it, it wasn't just defensive. They could also push forward with it. They, it was also one of the ways that they could be offensive in this in this battle. And often they would come together and put all their shields around and enclose themselves within this kind of wall of shields around them. Sometimes it was uh, um, covered in a hide and they would wet that. So if there was flaming arrows coming towards them, it would extinguish the fire of those arrows. You know, I, I think this is what Paul means when he says, keep each other's spirits up, encourage one another, because if your faith is lacking, you need to come together with the rest of the body and allow them to enclose you with their faith. That's why it's so, you know, if you're going through a struggle and the last place you feel like is going to a corporate meeting, that's exactly the place you need to be. If your faith is being attacked, don't isolate yourself because you're so vulnerable then. Come and stand with others who can say, hey, I've got faith for you. This is that picture of the army coming together. That's the beauty of community. That's a culture of honour and covenant family that Numa is committed to. To encourage means to come alongside of. The root word for encourage comes from the same word that Jesus uses when he speaks of the Holy Spirit. So encouragement has within it the heart of the Spirit of God. And as we give it away, we extend the strength of God towards one another so we can continue to stand. And then the salvation, the, the helmet of salvation. So much happens in our mind, right? And so we need to renew it. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, renew your minds by allowing the truth of God's word to wipe out anything contrary to it. It disarms lies and any confusion that could cause us to stumble. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says, you know that you have a renewed mind when the impossible looks logical. I love that. Another way, keep an eternal perspective. When life crashes in around us, look up. Remember that there is a kingdom, capital R reality, that is the truth. And we live out our temporal lives in light of eternity. Remember the victory that has already been won for us and find hope in him. And then the last thing, 
God's word is an indispensable weapon, Paul tells us. This is probably the greatest weapon that we have in the battle. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And if you're interacting with it properly, it's not predictable. It's not boring or weak. It offers new revelation and therefore strength to your spirit every time you approach it. Isaiah 40, 29 says he gives strength to the weary and power to the weak. But you have to be more familiar with his truth, which has been handed to us in a manner that we can approach and read every day. Be more familiar with that than we are to the enemy's lies, which are you entertaining more? The fruit of your life will reveal that. The fruit of your life will reveal which you're entertaining more. Let me just say this, an important note. It is a sword, yes, but it's not designed to be plunged into another believer. (laughs) Oh, the word of God says this. No, it says this. No, it says that's the wrong battle. (laughs) That's the wrong battle. It should be used to dispel the lies of the enemy that are thrown at you, right? It holds eternal truth within its pages, made so accessible by the grace of God so you could be strengthened in your innermost being. So it doesn't matter what battle you are facing. It could be one of despair, fear, grief, illness, confusion, doubt, disappointment. There will be a story in the word of God about someone just like you who stood in the midst of their battle and received strength time and time again. And their stories have become our sword. Read them, recite them, remind yourself and the enemy that there is a power beyond any other that allows me to face whatever may come my way and continue to stand in him. 18 months after I became a Christian, So I was 20 years old. I was sitting in a lecture at university and I experienced what I later (laughs) learnt. I had no idea what was going on, but I later learnt it was my first full-blown anxiety attack. And they started to come thick and fast. I remember going to the doctor one day and I sat down and I, I told her what was what was going on. And I thought she was going to say, oh, you're deficient in vitamin C. Or, oh, I know what's going on. You've got a thyroid problem or something. She looked at me and said, is there anything you're worried about? And I remember thinking, I think this is in my mind. I was so offended. (laughs) Like, no, 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 there's nothing I'm worried about. But that developed into a very serious Um, panic disorder is what I was actually diagnosed with. Some days I couldn't get out of bed. I was very hard to just function as a normal person. I thought this is what it feels like to have a nervous breakdown. My parents were not Christians. They didn't understand anything about spiritual attack or generational curses or anything like that. So it was a 20-year-old thinking, Okay, I have this faith in Jesus, but my life is literally falling apart. I had no idea what to do. I made an appointment at a psychologist and she did this um, stress test on me where I answered all these questions and then she got the results and she said, wow, you're experiencing a very high level of stress. And I thought, yeah, you think? (laughs) 
And she gave me a couple of strategies which were, you know, they were useful. And in years since then, I recognise that it is this holistic journey. And so I'm not saying don't do that. For me as a 20-year-old grasping for what was going on, I was like looking for anything, but I didn't know how to use the word of God at that point. I was still growing into the reality of the kingdom, right? Remember, there's this big R reality, capital R reality that is truth, but there's also the truth of our circumstances. That reality was becoming real to me, but I was still learning it. And so I thought, well, I can't do this in my own strength. Remember, I told you that I was someone who really depended on my own strength. I remember one night lying in in bed, I was reading this book, actually, of this pastor who was dealing with an issue. And and she had this prayer written out where basically it was this surrender of her own strength. And I remember saying that night, I can't do this. I can't overcome this. I don't have the strength to do it. And it was like the Holy Spirit went, finally, finally, you understand that. And so I thought, okay, I need to take this sword that I didn't really know very well at that time and begin to use that as one of my my weapons. Maybe, Deb, you can come and grab the guitar if you don't mind. Make sure it's really anointed. Um you're my son so it will be right of course (laughs) but I didn't know how to use this 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 sword and I thought okay okay it's written greater is he within me than he that is in the world I nothing I still felt terrible still couldn't leave the house you know when you're starting to learn to use a sword for the first time it kind of squirms around in your hand and you're thinking oh goodness don't position me at the front line of any army but then after a while of just repeating that, I added, okay, it is written, greater is he within me and he gives strength to the weary and he increases the power of the weak. And those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and they will soar on wings like eagles. And so eventually I just sort of broke all that down and I just made this little prayer in my heart where I just almost like, Minute by minute, I would say, your strength, not mine. Your strength, not mine. Your strength, not mine. And for years, I had to have some other strategies. For example, if I went to the movies, I had to sit on the end of the row so that I could get out. If I was at a lecture theatre, I had to sit near the door so I could get out. But in any of those times when I felt the anxiety begin to rise up, I just go, your strength, your strength, not mine, your strength, not mine, your strength, not mine. And that was my journey of walking into the freedom that was already mine, was already mine in him, but I didn't know how to access it. I didn't know how to live into and from it. But God in his grace and by his Holy Spirit led me one step at a time, one step at a time, one step at a time, always standing even in the midst of circumstances that tried to take me out completely. And so now I have freedom in that area. 
And I understand how difficult anxiety can be and depression. Anxiety and depression go hand in hand. And yes, there's a a physiology to this. There's a a reality in our mind and and our, our physical sense in this. But there's also a big capital R reality of the kingdom that's ours in Christ. And we have to learn how to unite those two realms and walk into the freedom that is ours. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, We would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.